Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get into our text today. Thank you, Father God, for each and every person here. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just uh, your power and, and just uh, saving us, Lord, giving us an opportunity for salvation. Father, I just ask you to get me out of your way today, Lord, as we take a look at this text, Father, uh, pertaining to Jesus Christ's um, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Lord, as today's Palm Sunday, recognizing that, Lord, and thank you, Jesus, for, for coming and, and, and dying on the cross for us, and just for what this whole week symbolizes, Lord, of just us remembering, Lord, your uh, life and uh, what's gone on in it, Father, and just thank you so much for the privilege, Lord, that we have through your word to be able to read and listen and and learn about what you actually went through, Lord, while you were here on earth. I thank you that you're tangible and living and that you're not some statue or some trinket stuck on a cross somewhere, Lord, that you actually are the true and living God, Jesus, that, that is in heaven, that ascended into heaven. You're at the right hand of the throne of the Father. You're interceding for us even now. And just ask, Lord, that you would just have your way today, Lord. I pray for each and every person here, Father, that, Lord, myself included, that we wouldn't miss out on what you have for us, God, that you would write upon the fleshly tablets of our heart the truth of eternity, Lord, through your word. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and what you're continuing to do and that we can trust you, Lord. Just praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I forgot to mention um, on Easter, we're doing baptisms. So if you've never been baptized before, um, it'll be an awesome opportunity. If you know the Lord and you're a believer and you've never been baptized, come Easter. And uh, we're baptizing. So far, we've got two people, possibly three. Uh, my son's one of them. Clint's son is another one. And, uh, you know, it's awesome to see young people knowing that to be baptized means that it's just a public proclamation of your response to being a, a Christian. You're saying, I am going to serve the Lord for the rest of my life, and you're, it's a public display of that. It's, baptism doesn't save us. Uh, it doesn't have any supernatural thing pertaining to it when we get baptized. It's an outward expression of an inward transformation, and, and it also kind of falls along the lines of Jesus being uh, buried and rose back again to life and um, it's just going to be a neat time. We're going to have a, a pool out in the back, and it's just going to be really great. So if, uh, if you know anybody that um, hasn't been baptized before, would like to be baptized or whatever, you can come and talk to me, and it'll be a great day. So super excited about that. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Clint will grab a Bible and hand it to you. I know that uh, the... The words are on the screen, but it's always helpful to have a Bible and read from it. Uh, it's, we're going to be New King James Version is what we use for Sunday mornings. Um, also, encourage you, if you have a smartphone, you can always download Logos Bible app or Blue Letter Bible app. Those are amazing Bible apps to use. Um, but the Word of God, even when I study, I have a computer program, and I use that to write and, and study. It has all of my... Uh, concordances and everything else in it. And I still take my Bible and read from the text um, because I get distracted easily. I don't know if maybe I'm the only one who gets distracted. I'm not sure if you guys do too, but. So um, 
Even though we're going to be in the text of Luke 19, 28 through 44, I want to open with this. And this is a, a prophecy about Christ that was written 500 years prior to the day Jesus entered Jerusalem. And this is Zechariah 9, chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Amazing how this was written 500 years prior to the situation that we're going to look at here in Luke. And I picked Luke because there's a description here. There's a, an altercation between the Pharisees and Jesus and the other gospels don't outline this. I love the gospels. Some people are like, well, you know, how come some things say this, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if they're, if they're all correct, then why does one thing say one thing and one thing say another? Well, you and I could watch a car wreck. Sorry, it's just, I picked that. Lord willing, that doesn't happen. But you could, we can, Dan and I could witness something, and uh, I could say one thing, and Dan could say another. But because our stories were different or our account of what happened was different doesn't make what happened untrue. And so the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're simultaneously, you know, they're together pertaining to the life of Jesus and the disciples and stuff, but there are certain um, details that one writes more than another. Luke was a doctor. He tends to be a little more descriptive. Doctors have a little more descriptive thinking. And so I like how Dr. Luke uh, wrote the account of Jesus' ascent, um, triumphal entry. So cool. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 44, and then we'll break it apart. Um, also, it's good to note here that in chapter 19, Jesus had been at Zacchaeus's house. I don't know if you guys remember the story of that. He was a tax collector. He had just finished being there, and then he also had just finished a parable of the 10 minas because he was speaking towards those who mocked him pertaining to him actually eating with a tax collector, and that's why verse 28 opens up and says, when he had said this, um, I wanted to kind of give a precursor to that because if you just open it when he had said this, you're like, well, what did he just say? So he's speaking here now um, pertaining to just finishing the parable of the 10 minas, which is earlier in Luke chapter 19. So when you get a chance, read all of Luke 19. It's really cool seeing this is the... Uh, Jesus' ministry is coming to an end. This is the last week of his ministry. The Pharisees are super frustrated. They want to get rid of Jesus. They want to kill him. You read throughout the Gospels, there were accounts when they tried to get Jesus and he went away and he snuck off. And the reality is, is that until it was Jesus' time, um, because he's God, Nothing was going to happen until it was, he was ready for that to happen. And so we read this account here. At the end, we'll see what had gone on between the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, and Jesus. So starting in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Let's read together. If you could follow along, that'd be awesome. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Beth. Phage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on 
which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice, praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Verse 38, saying this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make your peace, I'm sorry, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For, the, for days will come upon you when your enemy will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So what is happening here? It's pretty amazing. You know, we think, you know, what we, we look at a donkey, you know, a colt of a donkey, and we're like, well, that's, you know, we think of that as a, a lowly animal, you know, not, not too highly recognized. We think, you know, if you have a... <clears throat> A king who's going to be, you know, coming into a town. Usually, when when kings were done with battle and they came into a town, the the king would be on a stallion, and and all of the warriors would be with him, and they would be chanting things about him. That happened with David. Um, but it's interesting here what happened with this cult, and I love it how God's word, the Old Testament, is the New Testament sealed, but the New Testament reveals the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament is looking towards Jesus and the New Testament is proclaiming who Jesus is. And so the Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about God's plan for salvation. From the Old Testament, we follow the lineage of mankind and, and, and we see this, this, this weaving of God's love and grace through even men's failures and and hurt and pain and sin and all this stuff. And all of it's leading up to this week, this whole purpose, why Jesus was born, why Jesus came from heaven, born in, 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 in this body of flesh. He lived just like we do, but yet he did not sin. And the whole purpose of him coming to earth was for this reason, to be crucified on a cross, to set mankind free from the bondage 
of sin and death that was created in Genesis. And I love how the Old Testament gives us these snapshots of prophecy of what's going on with Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled every single one. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies written hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Christ coming and all of them have come true. So we can trust that what the word of God says is truth. I love that about it. And so we see here in, in verse 28 and 29 that, you know, uh, he had said these things prior in, in, in Luke chapter 19 and, and he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. So, so Jerusalem was, was, was his focus, the holy city. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount called Olivet. And you know, when I see the word mountain, you know, I think, is it just like the Buttes? You know, the world's smallest mountain range. No, Olivet was about 2,600 feet tall. This was on the other side of the mountain, east of Jerusalem. So they were on the other side of the mountain. So they go to these two small cities and Jesus tells them at this village, hey, that's opposite. And you're gonna go and you're gonna find this donkey, this colt that's, and, and a colt being young, it would have been with its mother. Uh, one of the other gospels actually mentions that they had both of them. They took the, the mother and the colt together. And I love this, how Jesus tells them, look, I'm gonna tell you to go do this thing. I'm gonna tell you, go loose it. But if this person, if they say to you, uh, why are you loosing it? Tell them that I need it. I love that, that the Lord has all authority when he calls something into our life and, and, and there's a situation in our life and, and he's directing us. It's the Lord that advocates for us. It's the Lord that's in control. Jesus was absolutely 100% always in control and he is today as well. So we see here verse 32 through 34 and, and they, they, these people asked him, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit here because we just read it. They asked him, why are you taking this cold? Because they just walked up and they started taking it. The disciples that Jesus had told to go get the cold, they, they said, hey, the, the Lord is in, in need of him. So most likely, you know, and, and, and then in verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. They brought the cold to Jesus so there was no dispute about the need of this cult for Jesus. <clears throat> cult, not cult. So the owners most likely had been followers of Jesus. They most likely knew who he was. They knew who Jesus was. There's such freedom in Jesus. There's no burden to serve the Lord. We burden ourselves, but there is absolute freedom in Jesus. When the Lord starts moving in our lives, we may have difficulties to trust him. We may have difficulties to understand things because we're human, but the Lord is in control. And just like this scene here, when he had told his disciples, his disciples went, they got the colt and told him that the Lord needed this colt. And here they are in verse 35, then they brought this colt to Jesus and they threw their clothes on it. They're, and they set Jesus on him. I want you to think about that for a second. Who's Jesus? He's not a man, he's God. He's 100% God and 100% man. And I want you to think about that for a second. A lot of times we, we feel disconnected from God, like he's over here, okay? Like he's not touchable. But I don't want us to miss out how tangible Jesus really is. 
Jesus's interaction with mankind was so intimate in regards to being about his business and involving people. Jesus is not some liturgical statement. He's not something that's just, you know, put on the mantle for when it's Christmas or Easter or whatever holiday we side with the Lord because of Hallmark. He's the tangible, true, and living God. And we see here how these men that followed him, they put their clothes on this colt. And what's the symbolization of this, you know? What does this really mean? Verse 36 says, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So I want you to think about that for a second. How many of you guys have been to a parade? I've been to a parade. Are they quiet and subdued? No. And so in the Old Testament, um, there's, there's notation in there about when a king was inaugurated, they, he would ride a colt, a, 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 a royal colt into the city. And so what was happening here was, yes, the prophecy that Zechariah had written about 500 years was coming to true because God's not a liar and all things that were spoken about Jesus will always come true. But the other fact of the matter is that the Lord is presenting to the people the reality that he is king. And so you can almost take a look at this and say that this is an inauguration of Jesus showing that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, prior to this, the Lord was very subdued about who he was. You read all throughout the gospels when he would do miracles. I mean, I remember uh, the account of, um, I can't remember what the guy's ailment was, but that's okay. But he would heal somebody and he would say, hey, don't go tell anybody. Because his time had not come. But now his time had come. And we think of the donkey as this low animal, but the Jews, the Jewish culture, they knew that it was a, a beast fit for a king. It was known that a king would ride on a donkey, like I mentioned in the Old Testament, and branches would be laid down on the ground and, and clothes would have been thrown down. And there, there's this Jewish reception of for royalty. What magnificent scene, Jesus riding on this colt and all of this started to happen on this Mount of Olivet. So he's coming down the mountain and Jerusalem is his focus and he's coming down and people are shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I want you to picture this magnificent scene of God himself taking such a humble place. He's not riding in on, a mag, on, on this steed, this horse as a warrior, but he's coming in humble as a servant. One thing that's also interesting is that this animal, this colt, it had never been broken. It had never been ridden ever before. Have, I, we just got new dogs and they have to be trained. They don't naturally do what dogs do. Well, maybe they do, but not what I want them to do in my house. You know, they bite something, I have to give them something else to bite. Horses are the same way. You don't just hop on a horse without training it. You have to break it. It has to be broken in. It has to be trained to have something riding on it. Horses don't naturally go, oh, hey, you know what? I want a 200-pound dude on my back. They're not naturally that way. And so I want you to take a look and think about this for a second. And here is a colt who's never been ridden, walking with his mother with these people that had just taken it from these other people because the Lord said that he needed it and Jesus is on it and the colt is 100% subject to the Lord. 
See, this donkey knew who Jesus was. All creation knows who Jesus is. What an honor this little donkey must have felt to know that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, God the Father's only son that was about to be crucified, who was sent to earth, he chose me to ride. Jesus chooses all of us. God's word tells us that he wills no one to perish, but all to come to repentance. Later on in this message, we'll get into John 3, 16. But there's a piece of that section of John that a lot of us ignore sometimes. And as we continue to read through this account, now we're gonna step into here and, and see what happens after these people are just shouting out this amazingness about Jesus. Then as he was now drawing near and descending, verse 37, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, all for the mighty works they had seen. You know, I was in Ensenada one year during uh, the, the, uh, the, the, what is it? The World Cup for soccer and Mexico won, and we we're on this ridge looking over Ensenada, and the whole city erupted with screaming and shouting and exclamation because they were victorious. It's the same thing here. These people were screaming and shouting and being so loud that they were speaking about the blessings that this king who is coming in the name of the Lord, that Jesus, we have our king finally. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're actually quoting Psalm 118. It's a messianic psalm. But another thing that's interesting is that it says that there was a group of disciples, so this just wasn't the 12. And you have to understand too that this is towards the last week of Jesus' ministry, three and a half years of his ministry. He'd been healing people and the people have been coming to know him and people have been saved. And, and so there's this throng of people that were always following after him. And now here he comes, he's going to Jerusalem. Our king is gonna set us free because what was in the minds of these people was being set free from the Romans, the oppression of the Romans. How common is it for us to take a look at the things around us in our world and get misguided or misfocused on what we're actually supposed to be focused on and that's eternity. It's so easy to be consumed by our life and the things around us. We always have to be reminded lovingly, hey, the Lord is in control. Yes, the Lord is victorious. Yes, he's victorious in our lives. But these people were thinking that Jesus was gonna come as the warring king, that he came lowly as the servant who was murdered on a cross. This Friday, we're gonna be in a very subdued setting as if it was when our best friend was, you know, crucified, Jesus. I encourage you come Friday night at seven o'clock as we have a night of reflection about what happened after this, leading up to Jesus' betrayal, his beating and his crucifixion. It's gonna be great Friday. Just, and it, you know, it, it, you're like, well, how can that be great? It sounds horrible. But when you take, yes, if Jesus' death was just death and that's it, it would have been horrible. 
but his death took your place and my place. See, all of us without Christ were helpless. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he took our place. He satisfied the requirement that God requires for mankind. He was the spotless lamb. And Jesus knew that his time had come and that what was happening had to take place. All the crowds of people, these disciples, all throwing their cloaks, palm branches on the ground, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's also important to note here that this was the very first time ever that Jesus allowed public worship of himself. Here's the king of kings entering the holy city as a royal king would have in his inauguration and the people that followed Jesus shouting and singing Psalm 118. It's interesting, and uh, this scripture's not on the screen, but it's interesting how in the beginning of Luke, Dr. Luke writes this, chapter two, verse 14, speaking of Christ's birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. But yet, we see here in verse 38, it says this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, this chant is for peace in heaven. See, peace in heaven because the king was rejected. There could be no peace on earth. We don't have any peace on this earth. There's no peace coming to our earth. And you think, well, that's kind of morbid, Brian. What do you mean? Instead, there would be constant bitter and conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. We see that all the time. There would be no peace on earth, but, listen, you guys, thanks to Christ's work on the cross, there is peace with God in heaven. See, Romans chapter five, verse one says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the issue, my friends, is do you have peace with God? That's always gonna be the issue. Do you have peace with God? See, a lot of times in life we try and manage our peace by everything exterior when God created all of us to have a relationship with him through Jesus. Colossians 1, 20, chapter one, verse 20 says this. I love this. Listen, you guys. And by him being Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. Think about that. He has the power to reconcile all things to himself by him. Again, by Jesus, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Without the blood of Christ's being sacrificed, there would be no peace because God required a blood sacrifice for peace with God all the way in the Old Testament. It started, actually it started in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. Isn't that how it is? When we're sinning, we hide from God, we think we're smart. God sees all things. Our lives are naked before him. I'm the same way, man. 
I always have to be real with the Lord and real with those that I trust in regards to praying for me and different things that happen in my life. And, but Adam and Eve, you know, God gave them one command. Don't partake of this tree. You can have everything else. So they did. Satan came, twisted God's word to Eve. Eve partook of this tree, so did her husband. And sin entered in the world. And you say, well, what does that mean? Sin in the world. Well, they all of a sudden saw that they were naked and they hid. God came walking, talking. God talked with him physically the way we do. And he came walking, looking. He said, where are you? I love that in that account. If you go to Genesis, you know, the Lord loves us so much that he looks for us knowing that we are even separated from him. There's nothing hidden from God. He wasn't like, he wasn't asking. It's not like when my two-year-old goes, does something and I'm like, where's Nathaniel? Because I literally don't know where he is. That's not how God was. God knew where Adam and Eve was. But for him to ask where they are meant that he cared about them enough to actually do that. And Jesus cares about us that much to find us and seek us out. So they hid from God. Well, what did the Lord do? Did he banish them? Yes, there's horrible things in our lives. Childbirth is horrible. I've coached my wife through four kids. It is not a pretty thing. We have to toil in the ground to earn our living. That's because of the fall as well. We have sin issues, whether it's attitude or other things. But what did the Lord do? Adam and Eve, they, they took fig leaves and covered them. How many of you ever touched a fig tree? I have. Fig leaves are horrible. There's nothing comfortable about fig leaves whatsoever. They're nasty leaves. So Adam and Eve took nastiness to try and cover up their sin. Isn't that how we are when we try and cover up our sin? We make things uncomfortable. Things don't really work right. But then what did the Lord do? Yes, he banished them. Yes, we pay the penalty every day for the the failure that Adam and Eve had, but what did he do? He covered them with lambskin. So this sacrifice of a lamb had been started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And I love that how the Lord Jesus is the symbol, the fact of God's grace towards us. And here we are in Luke and Jesus is coming to this situation in his life where he's coming down this mountain and, and these people are all shouting for him and and and. They're chanting peace in heaven. In verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. These Pharisees hated Jesus. They hated him. They didn't want to have anything spoken about him. In fact, this whole procession into Jerusalem was a symbolization of this royalty happening and they were undone. And it's fascinating that we see here that those that boasted that they served God, because that's who they were, they were actually the enemy of Jesus Christ. They hated Jesus Christ. They cannot stand him. And they wanted to kill him. Even before this, this was way too much for the Pharisees. They came to crucify Jesus, not to praise him. I love David Guzik writes this, nothing tells Satan and his followers that they have lost like the praises 
of God ringing in their ears. Satan loses because when God's people are really worshiping, their hearts and minds are on him and not on sin and not on self or Satan's distractions. And so I want you to think about that for a second. Here you have this amazing scene where Jesus is coming in and all of the disciples and this group of people are, are worshiping God. They're proclaiming this messianic statement that was in Psalm. And you have this other group of people that are telling them to shut up. And that's just how Satan is, is he wants the church to shut up. And he wants people to, that love Jesus to be quiet. And if you and your prayer life and you're talking to the Lord and there's something that comes in and it wants you to be quiet and not pray, it's the enemy. And if you're listening to worship music and you're trying to make Jesus the center of your house and everything is coming in to try and shut that off, it's not of the Lord, it's of the enemy. The enemy wants to silence God. And we see that in our society today with our government and all sorts of other places wanting to silence the church. has been going on for a very, 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 very long time. Nothing new. Maybe new for us. I'm 47, so I wasn't, you know, I'm not 5,000 years old, so I didn't experience this way back when. I'm sure you guys are in the same boat as I am in regards to your life timeline here, maybe some older or younger. But this, this attitude of denying God and denying Jesus and and, 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 and making Jesus out to be the villain is nothing new. It's been going on for a very long time. But see, Jesus is the winner. I love it. If you're a believer, you're on the winning team. It's amazing. Nothing can take that away. Not even death. Verse 40 I love this. So you have, you have these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these quote unquote public godly people that supposedly were doing, you know, they were, Pharisees were horrible. They were liars, hypocrites. I love Jesus' answer. Here's what he tells them. I want you to think about this for a second. I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out, I love this. This is cool. I know I'm off camera, but I'm going to grab this really quick. So this was not part of my sermon. I hope I don't drop this on my toe because it really hurt. I was told to put the rock inside because the rock's outside. Maybe somebody could throw it through the window. So that's why the rock's always there because we leave it to prop the door open. But I want you guys to look at this. You guys have seen rocks before, right? Our whole parking lot is full of rocks, but this is... It's a rock. The, I, I look at this and I think about this scripture and I go, how in the world was that going to happen? You know, a lot of people can misinterpret parts of the Bible and they can say, well, it's metaphorical. <laughs> but if you, we take into account who Jesus is and that he demands the glory and honor and praise and he will have it and he does have it. And think about when he was born, the angels that proclaimed who he was and, 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 and just who he is, that he's God incarnate. 
And he's telling these religious leaders that if these people were quiet, that the rocks that you see would proclaim what they are proclaiming. In other words, all of creation would cry out that he is the king. Because see, the focal point of all of creation is pinpointing all the way down to this magnificent scene here at the cross where restoration of life occurs. So these Pharisees were telling Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And I love how he says that if even they were quiet, the rocks would cry out. It's amazing. It's amazing. Think about that for a second. That's how powerful who Jesus is and what God is and, and what he has to do that he is not limited by anything. And that his praise will happen at all times. You know that the heavens, the stars, you ever go away out in the mountains? I know some of our team was out camping this weekend. I'm sure they looked up at the stars and you look up at the stars and God spoke those into existence and they actually speak of his magnificence. Next time, go look at the stars and think about how magnificent God is. It's amazing. And we live in a world that is trying to push that all away and take our focus off of the Lord because God created all of us to have a personal relationship with Jesus and to understand what he really did for us on the cross, that he took our place, that even if people did not proclaim who he was in the fulfilling of this prophecy here of him coming into Jerusalem, that the rocks would cry out. And this, this has always just stuck with me because I look at a rock and I never see it talk. I quit doing illicit drugs a long time ago. Some of you are like, what do you mean? See, if man was silenced at this time, all of creation would cry out, proclaiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus must be a big deal then. We see in verse 41 and 42, now he drew near. He was, saw the city and wept over it. And you're like, well, why is he weeping over this city? It's pretty sad how this, excuse me, these next few verses are. So he drives near and he looks over Jerusalem and he wept. How many of you guys have ever seen somebody weeping? One commentator stated that he was wailing. Weeping is an uncontrolled wave of emotion of sadness that comes out of a human being. It's, it's not like a regular cry. There's only one other time when we see that Jesus wept and it was over his friend Lazarus. And that was because of disbelief of others that they didn't trust him. Jesus continues to say, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, if you had known, even you, and he makes this proclamation to the Jews, especially in this, your day. See, this was the day that their king 
and come into their city. The things that make for you, for your peace, Jesus came to make peace for them. It says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You know that there's Jews that still disbelieve that Jesus is the Messiah to this day. So what was Jesus crying about? What was he weeping over? So we see now this broken-hearted Savior who looks over the city of Jerusalem, seeing this great structures and the great temple and all of the people that forsook him as Messiah. He wailed crying over this great loss. I love that about Jesus, that he doesn't, he's a compassionate Savior. Sorry, my allergies are really bad. Jesus was not weeping because of his impending death on the cross. He knew where he was going, but he was weeping over the city and the people he loved because he knew that they had denied him. 43 and 44, he continues to proclaim this, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Kind of heavy duty. You're like, well, what is he saying here? He's like proclaiming death to them, but there's a reality in our life that when we deny God, there's consequences. And the Jewish people have paid a consequence. In fact, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and there was thousands of people that were killed by the Romans, leveled, literally. Everything Jesus talked about was leveled to the ground. It was about 40 years after the occurrence of this with Jesus coming into Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem missed their opportunity. The day Christ visits and is rejected as a very sad day for those that reject him. But you say, well, Brian, you, you tell me that the Lord wills all to come to repentance and none to perish. Absolutely. See, some people say, well, you know, how come God would send people to hell? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. God doesn't separate anybody from him. Well, you say, well, what do you mean, Brian? Well, we're going to get into that in a second here. See, the day of salvation is at hand today for you and I, if you don't know the Lord. Don't miss out on the opportunity of your salvation. It's not God that rejects people, but people reject God's plan for salvation, which comes through believing in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. See, those that were supposed to be for Jesus and and God and Messiah knew his word. They rejected who he was. John 1, verse 9 through 11 says this. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So this is Jesus gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world. Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. So Jesus made the world and the world did not know him. 
So just because he was here and just because he made it doesn't automatically mean that they know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, being Jews, the Jewish people, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So John 1, 9 through 11 speaks of what happened here that his own did not receive him. Friday night, we'll look at how Jesus' trial was and the Jewish people screamed, give us Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. See, Jesus is a true light. He was here, he made the world, but it rejected him. And his own did not receive him. Some of us know John 3, 16 so well, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, being Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it says that God gave you and I an opportunity to be reconciled with God because of what Adam and Eve did, because we naturally are born into sin. And that if you believe in him, in other words, that you believe that he is the only way to get to heaven, that you confess your sins, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, that's in Romans. And that you should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love this promise. We're all gonna die one day, but this is speaking of that we have a soul. And perish means literally gone, separate, to do no more. And John 3, 16 promises that we will not perish and that we will have life everlasting with God and eternity will be glorious and amazing. But then we stop there. Verse 17 and 18, it's really serious here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I want you to think about that. God did not condemn the world through his son. Him coming here was not the condemnation of the world. Jesus coming here was actually the plan of restoration. So he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I love this. You think, well, John 1, 9 through 11, then John 3, 16, they're kind of conflicting, but the reality is, is that mankind is walking in sin and God is walking next to him saying, look, come over here because I've given you a plan to be saved. God doesn't ignore our sin or our separation from him. He actually makes a way for us to be reconciled to him so that we're not trapped in that any longer. And that's what all of this is talking about. But then it goes to verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. I love that. Praise the Lord, I am not condemned. And that condemnation that it's speaking here is being separated from God for eternity. When you look in place in scripture where it talks about being separated from God, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not, oh, you know, there's a little devil with a pitchfork, pokey, pokey. Think about the most tormenting thing you've ever witnessed in your life, and it's that times 100 and never stopping. No love, no grace, no mercy, no more chances, because once we die a physical death, our choice to believe in Jesus is over. You may say, Brian, what, why are you being so serious about this? Because when Jesus, I want to say ascended, but when he descended down the Mount of Olives and this whole situation occurred, the people that he was there for, they denied him. And there was consequences. Just like any of us who walk through life and we deny the power of Jesus because it's not just once when somebody gets preached the gospel to, it's probably the seventh or 10th or 18th time that they get preached about Jesus and the love of the Lord and that he loves them and he has a plan for their life. And finally, the Holy Spirit, they're listening to him and they're like, yes and amen, I wanna get saved because it makes sense in the Holy Spirit's ministry. It's not always right away when someone preaches a gospel to somebody, the gospel being the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us. 
Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he, listen, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's consequences to things in life. The greatest consequence in our life, the real danger in this life, and that danger is critical to understand, to understand that without Christ in our lives, we stand condemned before God. But the condemnation is not because God cannot love us, it's not because he doesn't care about us, and it's not because we're too sinful and it's not because we're not told how to be saved. The condemnation that mankind experiences being separated from God for eternity is because they were so stubborn and so unwilling to let the Lord love them that they stand condemned already and it's their actions that keep them separated from Christ. It's not God. God is love. He is absolute love. He's why we have life. He's why we have intelligence. He's why we can think. He gives us the light in our mind to be able to think about things. He's why we have stars. He's why we have oxygen. It's why I have kids. I look at my kids being born. I go, I don't even, that, that's a God thing. It's a miracle. Some of us don't have kids and that's very difficult. Those that want them. I love how the Lord carries us through things, even when things are difficult. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. Please listen to this, you guys. Take this heart. Write the scripture down. Listen to this message again. Go to these scriptures, and these are so important for us to memorize in our life and take ownership of it. I'll leave you with this. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Think about that for a second. How many of you want to be new? I want to be new. Every day I say, Lord, help me. Lord, I have no idea how I'm here. Lord, I need your help. Renew me every day. Love this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you're a believer, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you're like, Brian, I, I can't get out of my old thinking. Well, then stop trying to process something that God said that he was gonna take care of. This verse here says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Jesus is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't say anything here in regards to what you have done. It's because of what Christ has done. Being in Christ gives us this newness. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So I talked about being separated from God but, and, and, and what happened with, with Adam and Eve, but this verse 18 here talks about the reconciliation, the, the mending, the, the placing back together what God had already ordained to happen was him communing with mankind and walking with him daily and, the, and Jesus has given us that ability to be reconciled. He's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus 
nothing else. It's not Jesus plus church. It's not Jesus plus worship music. It's not Jesus plus tithing. It's not Jesus plus communion. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, there's this active process that he's doing. He's reconciling mankind back to himself, not imputing their trespasses. In other words, he's not taking his finger and pointing it at you. He's not putting your trespass on you. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors. How many of you guys know what an ambassador is? Somebody who goes to a foreign land and represents somebody who's of royalty, king, government. Not only does the Lord save us, not only does Jesus save us, not only does it reconcile us back to God, our original relationship, but it gives us this opportunity to be ambassadors for Christ be representatives of him. That's why it's so important as Christians for us to be active in our relationship with Jesus so that other people see who the Lord is in our life. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were, listen, pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin, being Jesus, to be sin for us. Jesus literally became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this whole thing, when Jesus died and shed his blood and was buried and, and rose again, all of those things, and then when we take, and, and the Lord is pleading with us, here's my savior, my purpose, my, my reason for you to be here. Here's my plan for you to be reconciled. Here's my plan for you to be in heaven one day. Here's my plan to heal you on the inside in ways that you can never be healed before. And then all of that, you wonder, well, why? But the whole purpose of it is so that the righteousness of God would be seen in us, that people would see that God is at work, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus and him. It's amazing. And so you see in, in Corinthians, when Paul wrote this, and you, you, you parallel to this what happened when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and, and, and his own people threw all of this away. Let us not throw away what Christ has deemed available to us. You know, it's it said that Easter is, you know, the most attended thing for people. And there's Easter handout cards. I don't know what to call them, flyers, whatever. Take some on your way out today. Go to a store, put them on a counter. I mean, be creative. I mean, I was at uh, the pizza place here in Olivehurst. We get pizza for youth. And they, <laughs> when they build counters, there's little seams in them. And so I put a bunch of them. So even from outside window, it just said Easter celebration at Little Caesars. The Lord wants to use you and I to call people to Jesus. And it's such a magnificent thing when we say yes to the Lord. It's the most 
amazing thing that you will ever experience in your whole entire life. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Life will not always get easier, but he promised to walk with you through your trials. He promises to take care of you. And if you don't know the Lord today, come and talk with me after service. And it'd be an honor to pray with you and lead you in prayer to invite Christ into your heart. And if you don't have anything going on for Easter, you have family, invite family to Easter. Um, Come to Friday night uh, for Good Friday and uh, just looking forward to seeing what God wants to do. You know, if anything, bring people to see my crazy 10-year-old son be baptized. I don't know, you know. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for each and every person here, Lord. I pray, Father, that anything that was of me, Lord, that it would just fall away, God, to the wayside. And what's of you, Lord, would just be planted and and, 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 and watered and nurtured and grown, Lord. And will you just help us to read your word? Will you help us to fall in love with you, Jesus? Thank you that you chose to come to earth. You chose to be obedient to your Father's desires, God the Father. To, you chose to come knowing that you would be crucified for us, Lord that you took our place, you took our sin upon you. Even as you went into Jerusalem, Lord, you wept over the loss of your people, Lord, denying you. It just shows us how loving you are and your compassion and your, 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 your desire, Lord, for those that you love and you love all of us like in John three sixteen, Lord. But I pray that you would help us to not deny you, Lord, in our lives. That we would invite you not only into our heart for salvation, but we would invite you into every area of our life, Lord. Lord, I just pray for each and every person here that you would just take care of them, God. That they would know that the true and living God loves them and cares for them. Just thank you so much for this day, Lord. We just lift up our world to you, Lord. Lord, it seems like things are becoming that are evil become good and what is good is evil, Lord, and help us to have eyes for you, Jesus. Will you just help us, Lord, to be bold for you? Just pray that you meet the needs of the families, Lord, and, and marriages, Lord. Just thank you, God, that I pray because you live inside of me, not because of anything great I am, Lord. Thank you that you love us, Lord, that you give us a relationship with you and that you dwell inside of us, Lord, and you place eternity in us, Lord, that through Jesus we're reconciled to God. Praise you and give you all the glory, Lord. Just go before us, Lord, this day. Let's bless the people here, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.